to praise God and to thank him. And this time of year, as we celebrate Thanksgiving, it's a time, great time to remind ourselves that it's not just about one day a year. It's actually the character of a Christian's life. We should be thankful and praise God all the time. But Psalm 100 is one of the most familiar psalms of praise uh, and thanksgiving to the Lord. So we're going to read that this morning and then look at what God has for us from this psalm. Psalm 100 says, Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that hath made us, and not we ourselves. We are his people, and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving, and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him, and bless his name. For the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endureth to all generations. Let's take a minute to pray before we go on to our message. Our Father, again, we come before you and before your word, and we know that your word is truth. It is absolute truth. There's no question about that. You've given it to us as our guide, and not just as a guide, but as our command, as the revelation of yourself and who you are and what you want us to be. And so, Lord, as we look at this psalm today that exhorts us to praise you, to thank you, to be thankful people. I pray that you would just work in us and help us to have that gratitude in our hearts, understanding who you are and what you do on a regular basis in our lives. Help us to see you afresh today, to get just a glimpse of your glory and your nature and your character so that it excites us about telling other people about who you are and what you've done for us. Lord, we want you to have the preeminence in this service now. We want Christ to be exalted. And so, Lord, do your work in us through your spirit. I pray now that you would fill me with your spirit, that you would give me strength, strengthen my voice, strengthen my mind, give me wisdom and the words to say so that we might hear your word proclaimed today, that you might receive all the glory and honor during this time together. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. You're probably familiar with Psalm 100. Uh, Most of us, if we went to Sunday school as a kid, we had to learn it. I remember memorizing this psalm, I think, when I was in about second grade. And the problem with a familiar psalm like this is we become so familiar that we stop paying attention to what it actually really says. We just rattle it off, and the words become words, and we get it done, and we go, see, I did it again. Or, yeah, I know that psalm. But we don't often enough take time to just think about what these passages tell us. And Psalm 100 is a great passage to exhort us and to encourage us about our praise and our thanksgiving to the Lord. Now, I don't usually start with the note at the beginning of the psalm, but I want to look, I want, if you have a, a Bible that has the note, it says a psalm of praise right before the psalm starts. And David wrote this. It's as because he's describing this. He's saying this is a psalm of praise. And these were psalms that the people of Israel sang as songs and also prayed as prayers. Okay, so this one specifically is a psalm of praise to God. Praise means to single out a person in order to commend them for some good qualities they have or good things that they have done. Now, we can't just look at this and say it's a psalm of praise generally. This is specifically a psalm of praise to God. The whole Bible 
is a psalm of praise to God, if you want to look at that way. But this psalm specifically exhorts us to praise God. And so the psalmist makes this note right here at the beginning to make sure we understand very clearly as we read it or as we sing it or as we memorize or as we think about it that we need to have the right heart attitude and the right dynamic as we enter into praise of our Lord and Savior and of our Father, the Lord, of our Father God in heaven. Okay, and that's why he begins with this, no, a psalm of praise, because he gives us the right attitude, the right dynamic, and then the first verse tells us how we're to respond in praise to God. And in verse 1 he says, make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. If we're going to praise the Lord, we have to make a joyful noise. Now, I'm not saying you have to go around shouting and screaming and jumping up and down and clapping your hands and praising God all the time. There's nothing wrong with that. Okay, I think we, maybe we need a little bit more of that in our lives to help us to understand God's goodness. But the psalmist says, shout joyfully to the Lord, all ye lands. Or actually, what it says in the Hebrew is all the earth. You cannot praise God And never say anything out loud. It's impossible. Now, you might say, well, I can praise God in my heart. Sure, we should have a heart of praise and thanksgiving. But if that's true, it will come out. And the psalmist here says, make a joyful noise. A noise has to be sound. And so we have to make the sound of a joyful noise to the Lord. It's a public proclamation of God's goodness and glory. This word noise literally means a loud shout. That's what David's saying. We need to praise God with a loud shout. Here's the scenario that he's trying to picture here. In Bible times, when a king would come back from battle and he had conquered the enemy, he would ride into the city in a great parade with all of this pomp and festival. And as the king came through the gate... On his white stallion, the crowds by the thousands around him would suddenly lift up this shout of triumph because their king entered into the the city, back from battle, triumphant in battle. And this is exactly the picture that we have when we celebrate Palm Sunday of Jesus Christ riding into Jerusalem. The people were shouting praise to him, Hosanna, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. They were shouting at the top of their voice. It was quite a tumult that they were creating, you know, and they were waving the palm branches and bowing before him and all of this worship and praise for the Lord Jesus because they were looking at him as a conquering king coming into Jerusalem. They were hoping he was going to deliver them from Rome at that point. Now, we know that didn't happen, but that's what David is talking about here. As we praise God, we need to praise him with a loud voice welcoming a conquering king or praising and worshiping our conquering king. Psalm 95 is a parallel to Psalm 100. We read Psalm 96. Psalm 95 goes like this. It's it's a short psalm. Let me just read it for you. O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. It starts out the same way. He goes on, he says, Let us come in his presence with thanksgiving and make a joyful noise unto him with psalms. There's that joyful noise, worshiping God with a loud voice. So David lets us know right away, you can't be quiet and praise God. 
I mean, you can, but that's not the substance of praise. The substance of praise is that it's verbal, and people will hear it. And the whole point of being verbal is that people will hear it and know that you have a God that's worthy of praise. In, so J- David says, we are to worship our God as a conquering king. In Philippians chapter 2, we're told that every knee will eventually bow before the Lord Jesus Christ. Will bow before him in worship as their savior, or they will bow before him as their judge just before they're sent into eternity. But they will bow before him, and they will worship him. And so why not start now? In this life, worshiping God as our king, as David says. So this joyful noise is a shout of victory. And we should be shouting for victory because we know the truth of the matter is that God has already won the battle for us. Okay? We don't have to worry. When you read the end of the story, God wins. That's the great thing about the Bible. God gives us everything that's going to happen, not all the specific details of our lives, but we know at the end of all time, at the end of all things, God wins. In fact, since Jesus died on the cross, God has already conquered sin and Satan. He's already won that battle. And so we're not bound in sin anymore if we trust him as Savior. That battle has been won in Jesus Christ, and therefore we have something to shout praise to God about. God has already won the battle for us. And that's why David says, shout with joy to the Lord. There's no earthly ruler that can take away from us what we have in Jesus Christ as his children, as his disciples, as his followers. And what we have in Jesus Christ is worth infinitely more than anything that we can have on this earth. We can't lose that. We can lose everything that we gain on this earth. It's all going to burn up someday. But we're not going to lose what we have in Jesus Christ ever. It is secure in him. Wicked men may seek to destroy the fabric of this nation by shredding the Constitution. They may try to take away all of our rights and freedoms as defined in our Bill of Rights here in America. But they cannot touch the promises of God that he's given us in his word. This is an indestructible document. It is the word of God that will last forever, the Bible tells us. And so what we have, according to God's promises, can never be destroyed and can be never taken away from us. And that's something to shout with joy about. We praise God because he's already won the battle. We already have the victory. We are overcomers. We are more than conquerors and through him who loved us. And so God's won the battle. Therefore, As the psalmist says, we should be shouting with praise to the Lord because we're on the Lord's side and nobody can defeat him and nothing bad will happen to us if we trust in the Lord. Now, we may look at our circumstances and say, well, that's not true. Look at my life, all this stuff going on. Romans 8, 28, and you've heard me say this over and over because it's a key to understanding God's working in our life. We know that all things work together for good to them that love God to them who are the called according to his purpose. We know it. It is an absolute. It is not a suggestion. It is a promise that God will work everything for our good. And nobody can change that. They may try, 
They may try to harm us. They may try to dissuade us from the truth of God, but nobody can change the fact that God has a good plan for our lives and he will work all things for our good if we love him and if we trust him. The problem is we don't want to see it God's way. We want to look at it our way. And we say, oh, that's not good. That's no good. But God's already got a great plan for us. He's won the battle for us. He's given us promises that will never fail, and that's something to shout for joy about. And so the psalmist starts, and he says, shout for joy. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. And then in verse 2, he goes on. He says, serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. The word serve here is the word for work. We are to work for the Lord. It's manual labor, toil. Okay? And he says, serve the Lord with gladness. Do your work with gladness as to the Lord. That's what the psalmist says. And it's, it's uh, echoed in the New Testament in Ephesians chapter 6. Paul says the same thing in verses 5 through 7. Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling and singleness of your heart as unto Christ, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will, doing service as to the Lord, not unto men. Everything we do in our work on this earth is for God. It is our service to the Lord. Now, it doesn't matter if we're emptying trash cans or riding a garbage truck or working in a steel factory or you name it. Whatever your job is, God has called you to that purpose, and you are doing that work for him. So this isn't just talking about ministry in the church and serving one another in love. We're supposed to do that, yeah. But this is talking about anything you do. Everything we do is service to God. And he says, serve the Lord what? How? With gladness. Now, I'm going to assume that all of us are good Christians, so none of us wake up on Monday morning and go, oh, it's Monday. Right? I'm not going to take a poll about how many people hate Mondays. All right, I love Mondays. I love every day. Um, Forgive me, the Lord, for lying, because I try to love every day. I fail in that. And I think we all do, right? At the top of our bulletin, it says, this is the day, or I'm sorry, I was glad when they said to me, let's go into the house of the Lord. This is the day that we gather together and we're all happy, hopefully, to be here, but we should be glad the rest of the week as well. You know, this is the day the Lord hath made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. God has a purpose for us to wake up every single day. If he didn't, we wouldn't wake up. And so as we wake up every morning, we should face the day with gladness. We should face our work with gladness, because that's what God has called us to. That is our ministry. Even if it's in a secular field, working with unsaved people, that is our ministry. And the psalmist says, serve the Lord with gladness. Colossians chapter 3, verses 22 to 24, Paul again says, Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh. By the way, that would apply to your boss as well, okay? And he says, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. And then he goes on, knowing that of the Lord you shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Jesus Christ. That's who our master is. No matter who our boss is on this earth, we are serving the Lord Jesus Christ. And as his servants, the psalmist says, we need to serve him with gladness. I mean, we have the privilege of serving the Lord. It's not a duty, it's a privilege. 
So we should approach it with gladness. No matter what we do, serve the Lord with gladness. Remember the old saying, if you really love what you do, then you'll never have to work a day in your life, right? That's what the Christian life should be, really. We love the Lord we serve. We love what he's called us to. We never really have to work. And he tells us in Matthew, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Okay, his work. And he goes on, he says, My yoke is, light, is easy, my burden is light. We have work that we have to do for Christ, but in Christ, it's a joyful work. And really, it's not work at all because we're serving our Lord. And so the psalmist says, we are to serve the Lord with gladness. And if we serve the Lord with gladness, I think we'd be a lot more thankful for the opportunities we have to work and the days we have to serve and just the fact that we can get up and bed and get to where we have to work and do those things that God has called us to. We can do it with gladness because God's in control. God's given us the strength. God's called us to his purpose, and we are serving him. He goes on in verse 2, come before his presence with singing. As we come into his presence, what does that mean? Well, obviously, we're in God's presence together today, but God is everywhere. He's all present. And so we are always in God's presence. He's promised to never leave us or forsake us. So we're always in God's presence. But when we come into his presence, it's when we acknowledge his presence. And we do that not just in church. We do that every day, hopefully, in prayer. When we spend time with him, reading his word, when we spend time meditating on his word, when we're just kind of communing with the Lord during the day, we're in his presence. And what does it say? Come into his presence or before his presence with what? Singing. Now, I don't know how many of you just spontaneously break into song in the middle of a work day, okay? Um, I know there was a time in my life if I did that, people would look at me and go, that's weird, okay? But the psalmist says that should be natural. Now, it may not be that you can just burst out into singing in the middle of your workplace, okay? I'm not saying that. But in your heart? That song should be there. Music and singing are the marks of a joyful heart. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18 through 21, this is Paul again saying, Be not drunk with wine where is an excess, but be filled with the Spirit. We studied about being filled with the Spirit a couple months ago. It's being completely controlled. The idea is a picture of a sailboat and the wind blowing in the sails, moving it along. That wind is the power of the Holy Spirit that continues to fill our sails to keep us going in the right direction and serving him. He says, be filled with the Spirit. And if we do have the Spirit filling us, in verse 19 in Ephesians 5, he says, here's the results. Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. When the Spirit's here, the song will be here. Singing is a mark of a joyful Christian who's filled with the Spirit of God. In verse 20, he goes on, not just singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord, but giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're thankful people. The singing comes out of a thankful heart because we realize who God is and what he's doing for us. And then in verse 21, it says, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. 
There's that service. Working, helping other people. Those are the signs of being filled with the Spirit. But the first mark, he says, is your singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. It doesn't always have to be an outburst on your lips, but it has to be in your heart. In Colossians chapter 3, verses 16 through 17, it's a parallel passage to Ephesians 5. He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. That means the word of God is our guide. It is our substance. We've saturated ourselves with God's truth and his presence. He says, if you do that and you let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, then you will be teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Singing. It's a mark of a joyful Christian. Why do we sing here in church? Oh, because it's what we're supposed to do. That's how we worship God, you know, three hymns and a poem and a prayer and we're done. No, we sing because it's a way of expression, expressing our joyful heart in gratitude and praise to the Lord. And if that's not why you do it, then you're just going through the motions. It is a way that we can express our praise and gratitude to God. And it's a natural thing that we shouldn't have to force ourselves into because that music will already be in us. Now it's just channeled together as we sing together and directed to the Lord in gratitude and praise to him. But remember, being in God's presence is not just being in church. It's all the time. So do you have that music in your heart, that singing in your heart all the time? That's what the psalmist is saying. Come before his presence with singing. Music, that singing is a natural response to God's goodness. See, this is why he saved us. Did you know, and I'm going to give you the trivia point of the day, okay? Hey, I've asked this question before. Why does God save us? Not to make our lives better. God saved us so we could sing. I'm going to show it to you. Psalm 30, verses 11 and 12. Psalm 30, verses 11 and 12. I'm going to wait till you get there because I want you to see this verse and then hold on to it as you go from here. Psalm 30, verses 11 and 12. The psalmist says, Thou hast turned for me my mourning into dancing. The mourning means sorrowing. And so it's turned into a joyful dancing. Thou hast put off my sackcloth and girded me with what? gladness there's that glad spirit to the end here's the purpose why god has delivered us has saved us to the end that my glory may what sing praise to thee god saves us so that we can praise him now i think we all agree and i'm going to finish that verse in a second but i think we all can agree that the bible teaches that our sole purpose on this earth i mean when it comes down to it the base factor is we have to give glory to God. In everything we do, glorify the Lord. Okay? We all agree on that. How do we do that? Here's one way. That my glory may sing praise to thee, the psalmist says. We give God glory by singing his praise. And look at the next phrase. And not be silent. You cannot be a silent Christian. The Lord wants us to sing his praise, to exclaim and proclaim to other people his goodness. 
And he goes on, he says, O Lord my God, I will give thanks to thee forever. The singing, the music, the praise to God should be a natural outpouring of our understanding of God's goodness to us. We shouldn't be able to help it. We're to come before his presence with singing. And then the psalmist in verse 3 in Psalm 100, he goes on. He says, Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that hath made us, and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. What causes us to be glad? What causes us to be joyful? What causes that singing to come out of us? This fact right here. Verse 3. We are to know what? That the Lord is God. He's in control. He's not going to take a break. He's not going to go on vacation. He's not going to forget about us. God is God. That is our Lord. And he's not a God. He is the God. The only one almighty creator of heaven and earth. The one who sets up kings and kingdoms and puts down kings and kingdoms. He's the one that's in control of everything, orchestrating the choices, the actions of all people, even wicked people, to bring about his desired result and fulfill his plan. That's the God we're talking about. That's the God we serve. That's the God who is God, who rules and reigns over all the earth. And that's the God that is our creator. He goes on, he says, that's, know that the Lord, he is God, and it's that God that made us. We belong to him. We are his creation. And so he cares about each and every one of us. He will take care of each and every one of us. He will meet all of our needs. He reigns on the just and in the unjust. He gives food to the just and the unjust. He takes care of his creation. The psalmist reminds us of that. We should sing because we have the God of heaven as our God, and we belong to him. He's the one that made us, and not we ourselves. He goes on, he says, we are his people and the sheep of his pasture. I want to share with you just an illustration. Earlier in my life, I had the opportunity, the privilege really, of teaching Uh, to special needs students for seven years. And I had all kinds of different handicaps represented. Some of these kids were multiply handicapped, mentally and physically. Some of them, I mean, you look at them, you think they could hardly function, didn't seem like anything was even getting in. But what we tried to teach every single one of those kids was the truth that God gives us in his word And that is God has made you specifically and specially as you are for a specific purpose. And as such, you have everything that you need to fulfill God's will for your life. You don't need anything else. God has given you everything you need to fulfill what God wants you to do in your life. Now, these were handicapped kids. But I'll tell you what, when they finally were able to get a hold of that truth, it changed their lives I never saw a kid who would understand that. And all of a sudden they realize I don't need anything else. God's made me exactly the way I should be. And God's going to help me do whatever I need to do. And I can do whatever God wants me to do now. 
That principle changed their whole perspective. And that principle will change our whole perspective on life as well because God has made us perfectly the way he wants us to be in order to accomplish the job he has for us in our life. We don't need anything else. We don't need to be different. We are what God made us, and everything is available to us from God to accomplish what he wants us to accomplish. He says, he hath made us. God made us exactly the way he wanted us to be. We didn't choose to make ourselves. We didn't choose to be what we are. We didn't choose our parents or our family or our circumstances. God chose all that for us because he knew it was perfectly right, and that's exactly what we needed for us to learn what he wanted to teach us and for us to accomplish what he wanted us to do. God has made us, and he's put us in exactly the right place with exactly the right skills and abilities to accomplish his will for our lives. That's something to praise the Lord about. And he says, we are his people, we belong to him, and we're the sheep of his pasture. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That means I shall not lack anything. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. God will provide, God will give peace, God will give comfort. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. God will lead us in the path that he wants us to follow. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. I think that's really relevant for us in these later days, in the circumstances of our life, in the circumstances of the world around us. But he says... Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Not just protection for us, but the rod and the staff were used for chastisement too. To help us to learn those lessons God wants us to learn. He goes on in verse 5. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. God puts us... In the, in the house of royalty, he serves us with his own cup, and he blesses us to the, with abundance to the point that we can't contain it all. My cup runneth over. And he finishes that psalm about our good shepherd, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's encouraging. We have a shepherd who watches out for us, who cares for us, who loves us, who's going to give us everything we need. He will protect us, and he will chastise us when we need it. He is a great shepherd. And in Psalm 100, he says, we're his sheep. He goes on in Psalm 100, verse 4, Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. Think about all of the things he just told us about the God that we have, the God that we serve, the God that loves us, that takes care of us, our good shepherd who leads us and guides us. And he says, this is the shepherd, this is the God that we enter into his gates with what? Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving, and into his courts with praise. And he repeats it, be thankful unto him and bless his name. 
The picture here that the psalmist in Psalm 100 is giving is actually something that happened in the camp of Israel. When all the children of Israel were called to worship and they would come into the tabernacle, they would actually come by tribes and they would march in these long lines, literally by families. And it wasn't just walking along, talking about the day, talking about the weather, talking about the, the day's football game that was going to happen later, or, you know, the latest manna recipe that I tried, and you got to try this. That's not what they talked about when they were on their way to the, the tabernacle to worship. Literally, the children of Israel, as they walked toward the temple to, or the tabernacle to worship, they would sing praises to God. They would sing psalms like this together. And so when he says, enter into his gates with thanksgiving, literally, the picture was all of these millions of people coming to worship at God's house, singing his praise as they entered in. And that's the picture of our worship. I mean, what is on our minds, not just when we come to church, but when we enter our day? Is it thanksgiving and praise to God, or is it all the worries about things that I have to get done, and oh, this is going wrong, and our day should start with thanksgiving. Everything we do should start with thanksgiving, and especially as we worship the Lord, it should start with thanksgiving, because God is a good God. He says, enter into his courts with praise, or in, with thanksgiving, and into his courts with praise. We, when we come together as God's people, our conversation should be dominated by the goodness of God and thanksgiving and praise to him. I had a discussion with somebody not that long ago about fellowship. Fellowship is not getting together and enjoying each other and having a good time and talking about the weather and the game and the things that are happening at home and all of the rest of it. There's nothing wrong with that. I mean, we should do that. But fellowship starts when the Lord enters the conversation, when he's the focus of everything that we do. There's fellowship. Because it's only in Christ that we are bound together. That's what brings us together. And if we leave Christ out of the conversation, then we've just ignored the very purpose for which he brought us together. Fellowship is about praising and thanking the Lord. I had a teacher in college. His name was Dr. Gilbert Fremont. He was known for his praise for God. Every class, he would walk in, and he would say, praise the Lord, let's begin. And he'd pray, and then we'd start class. And I was in his class the semester that I broke my finger on my writing hand. And so I went to him, and I was going to explain, you know, I broke my, it was my, my index finger. I couldn't write. I said I, I was going to try to explain, I broke my finger, it may be hard for me to be able to get all the work done that I have to get done this week. And so I went in and I started saying to him, um, Dr. Fremont, I just wanted to let you know that I broke my finger. And I said, and, and he interrupted me and said, praise the Lord. I was like, praise the Lord that I broke my finger. Okay. I thought maybe he didn't hear me correctly. So I started again. And I said, no, Dr. Fremont, I just wanted to let you know I broke my finger and I'm not going to be able to do the work. He said, isn't God good? And I said, well, uh, yeah, he is, but, you know, I'm trying to explain this to you. And he says, God is good. And I just stood there for a second. And he said, how else would you have the opportunity to learn to write with your other hand? Not everybody gets that opportunity. <laughs> he says, now you can be ambidextrous. Praise God. 
Okay? That's the way he approached life. Now, he came down, or he had contracted ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease. And he had that for many years to the point where he could hardly function. He was in a wheelchair. He could hardly talk. But the only words he would say is, praise the Lord. That's the attitude that the psalmist is conveying to us. When we look at life, when we come into the presence of God, it should be all about thanksgiving to our Lord and praise to God for his goodness. Verse 5, he gives us the reasons at the end of this psalm. Psalm 100, for the Lord is good. Let's do a test real quick. If you believe the Lord is good, say amen. Amen. All right, now remember that tomorrow morning. Okay? The Lord is good. That will not change. That's why we praise and thank him. And it's not just that he does good things, it's that his character is good. And then he says his mercy is everlasting. His mercy is everlasting. God will never cease to be merciful to us. His mercy is everlasting. And then his truth endures for all generations. There's three good reasons that we need to remember why we need to praise and thank God. He is always good. His mercy will never fail. And his truth will endure forever. I don't think we need anything else to praise God for. That's enough. God is always good. His mercy will never fail. And his truth will last forever. And it will never change. Again, our problem is that we don't want to look at things from God's perspective. We have things in our lives we complain about, things that we don't like, and we go to God and say, you made a mistake, God, you messed up. Now, none of us would say that out loud, but inside, that's what we're thinking. God, you messed up. It's not supposed to be this way. When we look at it from God's perspective, the only thing we have is praise and thanksgiving. And that's why, as we read in Ephesians 5, Paul says, in everything give thanks. He says the same thing in 1 Thessalonians 5. In everything give thanks. In all things, all the time, no matter what your circumstance is, give thanks because God is good. His mercy is everlasting and his truth will endure to all generations. That means God's grace abounds toward us and he spares us from a whole lot of bad that otherwise may have happened to us that we don't even know about. I want you to think about that for a second. Don't look at the things that did happen. Think about the things that could have happened that God prevented. There are so many tragedies that God has prevented in your life that could have happened to you. That is something to be thankful to God for. So instead of dwelling on all the little things that go wrong in your day, thank God for all the major catastrophes that didn't happen. Thank God for his goodness even in the major catastrophes because he will work it out for good. He has a plan. And remember a truth that I learned from a teacher in high school. He used to say this to us, be glad that God overrules stupidity. That applies to all of us. 
God protects us from ourselves and our own stupid more times than we realize. Psalm chapter 30, I read from this before, but verses 2 through 4. O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help. You healed me. O Lord, you have brought my soul up from hell. You have kept me alive that I would not go down into the pit. Sing praise to the Lord, you his godly ones, and give thanks to his holy name. God's goodness is greater than anything that we can imagine. His mercy will never fail, and his truth is the same today as it was when he first gave it. That will not change. We can rely on that as absolute. And we have a national holiday coming up on Thursday called Thanksgiving. Originally, it was intended for us to set aside the demands of everyday life, to spend the day thinking about and, and praising God for good things, for thanking, thanking him for the things he's done for us. I think people have lost the sense of that. Now it's just a day of football, a day to stuff ourselves, a day to relax and do nothing. And we've lost the thankful attitude. But it's not just thankfulness on Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving should define us every day of our lives as Christians. According to Psalm 100, every day should be Thanksgiving for us, and every day should be a day of praise, that we praise the Lord out loud to other people. Psalm 35, verse 18 says, I will give you thanks in the great congregation. I will praise you among a mighty throng. Now, we don't have a great congregation here today. We have a few people that God's brought together. But if we're going to be faithful to what God has called us to do, we need to praise God in the great congregation, in the small congregation. And we started doing this last year, and I would like to continue it. I'm going to give you an opportunity to praise God in the congregation today, as he's told us. I'm not going to force you, but if you have something you want to thank the Lord for and praise him for, you have the floor. Nobody has a praise. Everybody's too nervous. Yes. Praise God. <laughs> that is a praise. Any others? Yes. I'd like to praise God for all the things he's given me after passing that, that basket yesterday. I saw how some people were living in it. Really came home. Amen. We have a lot more than we deserve. Praise the Lord for that. Yeah. The people he brought and brings into my life to share his salvation with. Amen. To make friendships with, to share our bounty with. Yep. He is so loving and forgiving, and we should never, ever take that for an advantage or overlook that. And I just want to praise him in front of all of you. Amen. Praise his glory in his name. Amen. Praise God. Yeah, his strength is made perfect in our weakness. That's what the Bible tells us. Anybody else? (laughs) 
Praise God for trials, she said. James and 1 Peter tell us that. Don't be surprised when they come, but rejoice. Anybody else? Yes. Yeah, the Lord is always faithful, even when we fail. Amen. Yeah, I am very thankful for that. <laughs> David? Praise the Lord. Anybody else? Chad? Yeah, I am. Yeah, we had more people yesterday to give out the baskets than we needed, honestly. And I'd rather have that than the other. But praise God for his faithfulness in that way. Anybody else? Yes, sir. Amen. Yes. That is true. We need to remember that. George? Absolutely. Yeah, we'd be lost. Right. Mm-hmm. Amen. Anyone else? You get two? Go ahead, Katie. Yeah, his mercy is everlasting. Yes. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm not going to be very thankful for family, including church family. Yeah, and I want to say I am thankful for each and every one of you. I love you as my family because you are my family. <laughs> Thank you. Um, you know, we're not perfect in that, but, you know, I, when I say I live for Sundays, it's you, okay? It's you people right here. So we're glad that God has blessed us. Praise the Lord for his goodness. In your bulletin, you should have a, a copy of Psalm 100. And as we close our service today, I want to read it together. 
And so we're going to stand and praise God by reading Psalm 100. And now you've heard what this psalm tells us about our praise for God. And so I'm encouraging you to read it that way. And when it starts by saying, make a joyful noise, you need to read it with a joyful heart and make some noise. Okay? Let's stand together. We're going to read Psalm 100, then we'll be dismissed with our closing hymn. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that hath made us, and not we ourselves. We are his people, and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving, and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him, and bless his name. For the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endureth to all generations. Amen. Take your hymn books. We're going to sing hymn number 31, All Creatures of Our God and King. Lift up your voice and with us sing Alleluia. Number 31 in your hymnals. You're already standing, so you don't need to do that.